Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive all glory and honor and power. And Lord Jesus, we come to you today in your word, and we ask uh, and we seek and we knock uh, around the prayer that you said that you would always answer, the prayer for more of your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we ask as this gentle rain falls on us overhead, Lord, that you would send your Holy Spirit, pour him out in our hearts and soak us, immerse us in him as he leads us to you through the good news of who you are, what you have done, and how you have loved us so well. And so, Lord, we come to you, and we exalt you, and we glorify you, and we pray all of this in your holy name. Amen. Please be seated. So today we're going to jump right back into the story. Last week we ended when Jesus was commissioning his disciples to go and to make and to immerse. And then he said, I'll be with you always. And then he ascended into heaven. But before he did that, he made one last promise to them. He promised to give his people, his disciples, the Holy Spirit. And so today we find the disciples and others followers of Jesus gathered in an upper room. It's been days since he's commissioned them. It's been days since he ascended. They're patient, but they're waiting, and they wonder. In the streets outside, they hear lots of noise. There's a commotion going on in the city. There are Jewish pilgrims from around the world that have packed into Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks to celebrate God's provision of another harvest of wheat and also to commemorate his giving of his law to his people, his establishing of his covenant with them. But there's nothing that can distract Jesus' followers from the question that is throbbing in their hearts. When would Jesus send the promised Holy Spirit? When would they be clothed in power just as Jesus had promised? The story of God continues like this. Suddenly the gathered followers hear a loud sound. It's like a roaring tornado. And then what looks like Gentle tongues of flame come and settle on their heads, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus has kept his promise. They are clothed with power and go out into the street to tell people about Jesus. Some of the thousands of the Jews that are in Jerusalem from around the world on the feast day say, how is this? that these men from Galilee are speaking in our language. How is it that I hear them speaking to me in my own native tongue? This is amazing. Others are a little bit more cynical. Uh, they've just uh, had a little bit too much wine. They're drunk. So to clear things up, Peter steps up and out to explain to the crowds all that is happening. And he tells them, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the promise of the Father which Jesus taught would be fulfilled. We're eyewitnesses of the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead and that he is the true Messiah. 
then Peter powerfully explains how Jesus had fulfilled all that the prophets had foretold regarding the Messiah. And then finally, he encourages the crowd. Each of you must turn from your sins and turn to God. In Jesus, Peter says, they will find forgiveness. He is the final sacrifice for everyone's sin. This is God's new covenant, offered not just to the Jews, but to all who want to be a part of God's family. God's new covenant is not written on tablets of stone like the old one was, but is written on the very being of our hearts and our minds so that we can live in relationship with him and delight in his will and walk in his ways. That day, over 3,000 people repent, believe in Jesus as Lord, and are immersed in baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They become a part of God's family, and they too receive the power to be a blessing to all the peoples of the world. Those followers in the days to come, they become deeply committed to God and to one another. They devote themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to their fellowship with one another and to their life in the spirit. They share meals with one another and they remember the Lord's Supper, the thing that Jesus had taught them to do. And they were bold in prayer in the name of Jesus. As a deep sense of awe came over them, signs and wonders were performed in their midst through the power of the Holy Spirit. People were healed. Sinners were saved. It was an amazing time to be the church. So moved in their hearts, people began to sell their stuff. They held their stuff in common so that people within the community that had need didn't have needs anymore. Every day they worshiped together, and their worship was always followed by that special meal. It was a celebration of the Lord's Supper, exuberant and generous praise of all that God had done and his goodwill toward men shown in Jesus Christ. And each day, as the gospel was proclaimed and the Spirit moved, God drew people into the family of God day by day, and people were added to their number daily. This is the beginning of what the Bible calls the church, a community of people who around the world, because of the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, once again enjoy a life that is full and complete, restored to a relationship with God and restored into authentic community with one another. This is the story we call Pentecost. If you want to follow along in your Bibles today, now that we've completed the story, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today. Uh, If you have a blue Bible, there might be some there in the pew. I encourage you to open that. Uh, If you have a phone or uh, something else, some electronic device, uh, pull that out and just follow along. Trust me, I'm not going to assume that you're uh, texting your friends or uh, catching up on your emails this morning. I'll trust that you're pressing into the Word of God. My encouragement for us today is that if we remember one thing about today's message, my hope is that it is this. Pentecost 
is about the power of God to restore the broken relationship between God and his people caused by sin and to build authentic community among his people. Pentecost begins in God's heart because his desire throughout his story ever since the fall has been to undo the brokenness that sin has brought into his perfect creation and into the relationship with those that he made in his image and likeness. And God's great plan for the day of Pentecost was no afterthought. It was no circumstance of history. God didn't just think it up right after Jesus ascended. Instead, just as Jesus' passion, his death, and his resurrection were according to the plan and the foreknowledge of God, so too this day of Pentecost was long built into God's eternal plan and promises to restore his people and to build community. It's the origins of Pentecost that should really encourage us because it reveals to us the constancy of God's purpose throughout his story to restore his people to relationship with him. And the care and the forethought that he put into this day is absolutely astounding when we unpack it. Because it is a day that God put the wheels in motion for more than 1,500 years earlier in the wilderness around Mount Sinai in the time of Moses. It's there that we find the Israelites, they're gathered around Mount Sinai, and it's 50 days after that very first Passover, that great and terrible day of the Lord where the angel of the Lord came and struck down the firstborn of Egypt, but passed over the Israelites because of the sprinkled, shed blood of a sacrificial lamb. It was God's way of delivering his people out of the bondage to the oppression of Pharaoh. And then on that 50th day, God's people saw amazing signs and wonders. The sky darkened, lightning cracked, thunder rumbled, and then all of a sudden, fire descended on Mount Sinai. And there was an impact that shook the mountain and shook them. They would never forget that day because of what God did in their midst and because of what God gave them. It would be on that day that he would speak to them from the mountain and give them his law. He would tell them how he wanted to be in covenant relationship with them and what it looked like to be in relationship with the holy God. And as a part of giving his law to his people, God also instituted three separate feasts or festivals one of those was known, became known as the Feast of Weeks. It was to occur on the 50th day after Passover every year, year after year. And on this particular feast day, God required everyone to come and present themselves before him to offer uh, the first fruits of their wheat harvest, which this celebrated, and to celebrate God as a faithful provider and as the one who is the Lord of the harvest. As the years passed by, it also came to commemorate God's gracious giving of the law to his people. And so it's this feast day that God used to bring his people into his presence year after year. 
but the fullness of God's eternal plan and purpose for this feast would be realized on this particular moment in the story of God. On a feast day that celebrated God's provision of a harvest, the Lord of the harvest had always planned to reap the very first fruits of his church. The stage was set. Thousands who otherwise would not have been in Jerusalem on that day found themselves in a place where they heard the good news of Jesus Christ. They had the opportunity to be called to repent of their sin, to believe in Jesus as Lord and God and Messiah, and to be immersed, to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The origins of Pentecost should really encourage us because it reveals God's heart, his great love, his eternal plan and purpose to restore the relationship that was broken between us. It shows the constancy of his purpose throughout his story. And on that day, his purpose and his plan came to amazing fruition. Having dealt with sin through the atoning sacrifice of his son, God's desire for deep and intimate relationship with his people would become reality as those who repented and believed would become very temples of his Holy Spirit, dwelling places of the Most High God for all eternity. So Pentecost is rooted in God's eternal plan and purpose to restore the broken relationship between him and humanity. And Pentecost is about the power of the gospel to restore the relationship between God and man. On Pentecost, just like that day centuries before at Mount Sinai, God came down to his people in power. In a very similar way, they heard a mighty wind and a loud sound, and they saw fire descend upon them. By the power of the Spirit, They were empowered to go out and to speak in languages and tongues that they didn't know. And people from many different lands heard the gospel in a way that was relevant and real and powerful to them. And the thing that happened in perhaps an hour is mind-boggling. Now, this is a little bit of speculation in my part, but uh, there are perhaps at this time maybe about 500 truly committed followers, perhaps more, perhaps less of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that there are about 120 that are gathered in Jerusalem at this time. There might be more, there might be less, but what happens on Pentecost is simply amazing. In a single day, 3,000 people profess Jesus is Lord and are baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus had promised that his disciples would do even greater things than him. But I can't imagine that they, even in their wildest dreams, thought that what God did on that day could even possibly happen. But I want to be careful for us to see something that I think should encourage each and every one of us here. I know it's a real encouragement to me as I stand up before you here in the pulpit and uh, share the word of God with you. Because it is the power of the gospel, not the person delivering the message, 
that is the power of God for salvation to all who will believe in him. Think about the messengers that were present on that day. These were men that, after all, even just a few weeks before, as Jesus was commissioning them, Matthew's gospel records that some still doubted. Think about the chief messenger. Think about Peter himself, who only weeks before had been unable to tell a little girl around a campfire that he was a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Each one of the ones who proclaimed the gospel on that great and amazing day all had their own fears. They all had their own insecurities, but they also had faith. And they were surrendered to what the Holy Spirit wanted to do in their hearts and through their lives for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that this story of Pentecost, what God did on that day, that it emboldens each one of us to share the gospel with the people that God has put us into relationship with, with those that we find in our spheres of influences. It is, after all, the gospel that is the power of salvation for those who believe not how great the personality is of the person who gives it, not how dynamic of a speaker not how much they know, not how educated they are. It is the power of the gospel that brings salvation to mankind. And so if we're surrendered to the Holy Spirit working in us, God can use us just like he used Peter and the other apostles on that day to proclaim the good news about who Jesus Christ is and to see amazing things happen for the glory of his name. Pentecost is about the power of the gospel to restore the relationship between God and his people and to build community among his people. The gospel is what Peter boldly proclaims at Pentecost. After dealing with those scoffers that are just saying, ah, you're drunk, Peter actually steps forward and calls the crowd to himself. He says, men of Israel, hear what I have to say. And then he tells them about Jesus. He bears witness to the good news of who Jesus is and all of the things that he did. And he tells them the meaning that God had given and why Jesus had suffered and died on the cross and the the true power of his resurrection and why he had ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father. He told them how God had worked out his eternal plan for the salvation of the world through this man, the Lord, the Messiah, the one who was the true son of God. And Peter proclaimed that it was in this man, Jesus Christ, in him alone was salvation and life. And as the gospel, as the good news about who Jesus is went forth, It went forth into hearts that the Holy Spirit had prepared and softened. And the seed of the gospel penetrated and took root. And those gathered were pierced. They were convicted of their sin. And they were brought to the end of themselves. And they cried out to Peter, 
What then shall we do, Peter? And Peter told them, repent, believe, and be baptized. He called them to turn away from their sin, to turn away from their rejection of Jesus Christ and to turn to Jesus, to believe in him as their Lord and their God. And as an outward sign of that turn of their hearts, they would have the sacrament of baptism. At Pentecost, God reaped the first fruits of a people that belonged to him and that he abides in through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And for each believer that was baptized on that day, they not only see their relationship to God restored, but they find themselves immersed in a true community that they longed for, that they craved, that they could be and do life with one another. They found themselves in the gospel community. And in this life, in the, in the way that this group of the first 3,000 or so followers of Jesus, as they did life together, as we look and study what they did, we see what it means for us to be a gospel community today. That gospel community after Pentecost, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They couldn't get enough time in God's word and they couldn't spend enough time with those who knew the word and were raising them up and discipling them into Jesus Christ. They did life with one another. They worshiped together. They had meals together. They were praying with one another. They were sharing what they had with one another, selling their stuff and making sure that no one did without. And in the midst of that gospel community, they saw the Holy Spirit move powerfully. Miracles, signs, and wonders were being performed. People were being healed. People were being set free from the bondage to sin and the things that had kept them uh, from experiencing the full and complete new life in Christ that God had always desired for them. The people of Pentecost were that first gospel community. And the rest of the Bible all of those letters that we get that are from, from Paul and Peter and John and the others, all of those letters set out to affirm, to correct, and to encourage the kind of gospel community that God desires for his people. See, our temptation, though, is to pick our favorite bit of gospel community and to really major on that and to ignore those parts of gospel community that frankly make us a little bit uncomfortable. So, for example, uh, there are some that just love to focus on being devoted to the apostles' teaching. They want to be a part of a teaching church. All they want to do is focus on Jesus and his word. That in and of itself is wonderful. It's terrific. It's what we should be doing as the people of God. The trouble is, without the love of the Father and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's far too easy to become legalistic modern-day Pharisees. Others just want to focus on the Holy Spirit. 
They want to be a music, prayer, and worship, and healing kind of church. Again, when the Spirit moves in power and leads His people, it's an amazing, beautiful thing. But the trouble is, without the justice of the Father and the truth and grace of Jesus Christ and His Word, the church will lose its anchor in the gospel and become more about an experience than reaching the world with the Father's love by proclaiming the gospel and continuing Jesus' mission and ministry in the world today. Still others want to focus on the holiness and the transcendence of God and the majesty of the Father. They want to be a traditional church with beautiful, rich liturgy. Again, it's amazing. It's wonderful to be a part of that type of expression of the church. But the trouble is, if we don't have Jesus spoken into our lives through his word and we're not sensitive to the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit to continue what Jesus has called us to do, the church can die. It can become merely a purveyor of religious services. It can be a right emotion that we begin to go through rather than a spirit-filled great commandment, great commission church that God has called us to be. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are the original community that we have been immersed into. And to omit any one of them is to deny them all. It's why at Grace we're equally devoted to all three persons of our one amazing God. We're equally dedicated to all three streams of the church, the Scripture, the Spirit, and the sacraments. We're a Spirit-filled, liturgical Bible church. We're charismatic, we're reformed, we're traditional, and we're missional. We see this comprehensive unity throughout the New Testament, and it's who we are called to be together in this city for the sake of others and for the sake of those who don't know the Lord Jesus yet. It's the kind of community that God has created and redeemed us for. It's the kind of community that in our heart of hearts we long for. And it's why we as the people of grace won't settle for anything less than true, full, authentic community immersed in the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Abba, Father, thank you so much, Lord, that you sent your Son, that in him we have a perfect image of you and the love that you have for us, and that was most exemplified and demonstrated by his laying his life down for us, by paying the price for our sins and being raised into new life. And Lord, now seated at your right hand, he continues with you to send forth your Holy Spirit, to move in your church, to draw people to yourself. And so, Lord, we ask right now, we ask for a fresh filling of the one who can embolden and empower us to be proclaimers of the good news of Jesus Christ in the world today. 
Lord, help us to be bearers of that good news, of the way to life and salvation, and help us, Lord, uh, to be instruments of your mercy and your grace and your gospel in the world today. So, Lord, we ask this not for ourselves, not for the sake of our community, Lord, but for your glory and to exalt and magnify the name that is above every name, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, in whose name we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen.